What a joy it is to be here at Will Avenue. I've actually been here for the last 20 years. Every year I come and do an India presentation, so most people know me as the India man. Uh, but uh, I'm no longer doing that. I've made my last trip to India. I've got to tell you a little bit of, about Ben, something about Ben. One time he went to India with me. He wasn't preaching then, and he wanted to go over and look at the work, and he said, day or two, I'll just observe, and, and then I'll, I'll try to preach. And so I told Brother Ratnam, I said, now Ben, our son-in-law is coming, and I said, he's not a preacher, and so we've got to be patient with him. About the second day, Ben went out with Brother Ratnam and he preached. And that evening, Brother Ratnam came to me and he said, Brother, I thought you said that Ben was not a preacher. And I said, well, he said he, he's not a preacher. He said, Brother, he can preach. And we've watched Ben grow and uh, we're proud of Ben and Heather and proud of the Will, Will Avenue congregation. If I call you Willette, that's because I preached at Willette this morning and you just... Uh, recognize that uh, I know better, but I forgot. It is a pleasure to be here. I believe one of the greatest opportunities that we have in the Lord's church is to take the gospel to this lost, dying world. Friends, the only hope that the world has is for us to be able to impart that glorious message of Jesus Christ. It is a joy, it is a privilege to be a member of the Lord's church. And I have said for years, if I were to get up here and say that you don't have to take the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, that many of you, or I hope you would, uh, would call me down. You would correct me. You would say that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. And you're exactly right. But you know you do not have a command to take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. You've got a command, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, to partake of the Lord's Supper. You've got an example and an inference, and that is when Acts 20 and verse 7, when they came together upon the first day of the week. But what you do have in Scripture, you have this command to take the gospel to the lost and dying world. What I have observed in the last 20 years of going to about 60 congregations every year doing an India presentation and holding meetings, I have observed that the church of our Lord needs to take this command more seriously. We need to realize that every aspect of our work is about saving souls. Our benevolent program, our Bible classes, everything, our youth group, everything ought to center on trying to get people to heaven. In Jackson County, where I live, in various other places, I was in uh, Bobby's Branch and held a meeting and someone was telling me there that... Uh, there is some congregations that's so weak and that the older people are dying out. We're not converting the younger people and many of those congregations are going to have to close their doors. Brethren, I hope that it is never said uh, that the church of our Lord in local congregations would omit the great commission because we are commanded, every one of us, to do it. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you think that we are not converting the world like we did many years ago? Are you aware of the fact that in Acts 2, 3,000 people became Christians? 
And in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says that there were multitudes being saved. Then in Acts chapter 5, there were about 5,000 that became Christians. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 4, when the persecution arose, they went everywhere preaching the Word. The church was growing. Then when you get to Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23, the gospel had been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. You know why? Because the church was focused on the work that God had given them to do, and that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why aren't we doing that? Now you might say, well, you don't know about Will and I don't know about Will Avenue. I don't know what your efforts are going for. But I know our brotherhood in general, we're not taking this command as seriously as we ought to. Well, I suggest the reason we're not converting the world is not that the seed has changed. We know better than that. Luke 8, 11, the seed is the Word of God. And the Bible says if the seed goes into a good and honest heart, it will bring forth fruit. We know that the gospel, Romans 1, 16, has the power to change people's lives. We understand all that. But why are we not converting the lost? I believe, brethren, because one reason is because the world's just not interested anymore. We live in a society where there is a disrespect for God, a disrespect for the Word of God. You get on social media and if you try to defend the truth, they will attack you from every angle. I know. I defended a congregation not uh, too many years ago that had practiced church discipline. And man, there were 150 comments. And all I said was this congregation was trying to do it the biblical way. I had preached there. It was a good, I thought, a good loving congregation. And I got attacked from from every angle. And I found out you don't win arguments on social media. You just don't do it. I don't do it anymore. I might do it by going to a private message. The world is not interested in the gospel, not all the world, but a lot of the world, because world, the world loves darkness. Romans 5 and verse 8, Paul talked about how that we ought to walk as children of light. Paul said that he had been delivered from the power of darkness and translated in the kingdom of God's dear Son, Colossians 1 and verse number 13. Friends, we live in a world where it seems that it's being controlled by Satan. Did not Paul say that in 2 Corinthians 4, 4? That the, in whom the God, small g, the God of this world, had blinded the minds of them, lest they believe the glorious gospel who is in the image of God, and lest they shine. The God of this world has deceived the world. There's no doubt about it. You see, my friends, you're either in darkness or you're walking in light. It is the responsibility of every child of God to please the Lord, to be like Jesus, Philippians 2.5. We live in a very selfish world where people don't want to be like Jesus. They want to live their own lives. Well, I'm here to tell you that the world has been deceived. Deceived by the great deceiver. The world is in hot pursuit of fame and fortune. The world doesn't care about spiritual and eternal things. It ought not be that way. But now, are we going to sit here today and to say that every person in the world could care less about God? Absolutely not. Those of us that have been on campaigns and knocking doors, we're, we've got this little saying, we're looking for one soul. You may have to walk a knock on 100 doors to find one soul that will talk to you about the gospel. 
But I'm telling you right now, brethren, there are still people that's looking and seeking and searching for something better in their lives. And I tell you what is better. That's the gospel of Christ. So, the world's not interested. Number two, sometimes we don't view the world as being lost. Not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, Becky and I went to a funeral home in Red Bull and Springs. This particular person that had passed away had never darkened the door. As a matter of fact, everyone in the community had tried to reach out to him, or a lot of people had, and the man was guilty of a lot of immoral sins. And so the family was gathered up there, and one of our members came up to a family member and said, well... You know, he's probably better off. He's better off. Friends, when you die outside of Jesus Christ, you're not better off. You, you understand that? The world is lost. Do, 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 do we understand that Jesus said that the righteous shall go into everlasting punishment and the wicked into everlasting destruction? There are two groups of people. They're the saved, they're lost. There's the sheep and the goats. There is no middle ground. There's light, there's darkness. And no wonder Paul would say this in 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning with verse number 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on who? Those that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Friends, you're either in Jesus, Jesus or you're not. You're either a child of God or you're not. You're either on your way to heaven or you're not. And yet, I'm afraid that sometimes even in the church, we have failed to recognize who the saved are. Somebody says, wait just a minute, you're not the eternal judge of another man's soul. No, that's above my pay grade. I don't want that job. But I know what the Bible says, and the Bible says that all spiritual blessings are in heavenly in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Ephesians one and verse three, they get that they get redemption through the blood of Jesus. Verse number seven, and the Bible tells us that only those that are children of God have been added to the body of Christ. Galatians three, twenty six, twenty seven, and twenty eight, and that's who the saved are. We don't view the world as lost. Have you ever listened sometimes, and that brings me to my third point, that sometimes we listen to sermons, and you listen to those sermons, and I'm talking about even among our own uh, brotherhood. And the message that we're preaching is not the message of redemption. Friends, the greatest message ever given to man is that of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Do you understand uh, that the message of redemption needs to be heard and needs to be taught? And we need balance in our preaching. I had an opportunity in India when we got a thousand of our preachers together and we had a big lectureship. And uh, this was only about four years ago, and they said, you're an older man. They call me an old man, but uh, some of them couldn't see good. And they said, uh, you try to explain to these young preachers the work of a preacher. Well, brethren, the, the work of a preacher is open this book up, have the right attitude, have the love for truth, the love for God, the love for souls, and you, it, that ought to be evident when we're preaching that we care and that we're concerned. Paul said, speak the truth in love. 
And many of our preachers are good at telling jokes. I'm amazed at how many are graduating from even our own schools of preachings and colleges. And they're real good at t- giving all kinds of philosophical theories. They're real good of telling you how to feel good about yourself. And there is a need for us to have self-esteem. There is a need in our preaching to both have positive and negative preaching. But I'm here to tell you, brethren, that our preaching needs to be challenging. It needs to call people back to the Bible and challenge us to change our lives. I thought it was interesting. I was in North Carolina. Becky was with me. I was doing an India presentation. I preached a sermon that day. I opened up Acts chapter 2. One reason, because I didn't really know that I was supposed to be preaching. And so, uh, you're supposed to preach today, okay? So I just opened up Acts chapter 2 and I did a lesson from Acts chapter 2. Basically read Scripture after Scripture, Peter's sermon. You see, brethren, when you preach like Peter, it can't be wrong. And so I preached that day. We went out to eat with uh, a couple of the elders and another member, and there was a lady that was coming, uh, and an elder leaned over to me and he said, this lady that's coming is not a member of the church. I said, okay. And she said, we're trying to love her in. Okay. And if she'd been there today, she might not have liked your sermon. I only preached Acts chapter 2. I I just preached exactly. Peter's sermon was the fact that these people were lost. They were pricked in their hearts. They asked men and brethren, what shall we do? They were told to repent and to be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they that did that, about 3,000 souls were added to the Lord. And he said, she might have been offended. We're trying to love her in. Are you insinuating that I don't love her? Friends, you know what love does? Love necessitates that you tell people uh, the truth with a loving and kind disposition about you. You care about people. And he said, well, I said, we're trying to love her in. We play bingo on Thursday. We go golfing on Friday. My friends, you can play bingo and you can play golf every day of the week, and I'm here to tell you, until you present the gospel with the right spirit and try to help people to know God and to know His will, they'll never become a child of God. I'm here to tell you that we need to be preaching the message of redemption. We need to preach like Peter did. We need to preach like Paul. You know how Paul preached? He preached with conviction. The Bible says that Paul said, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. It was Paul that said that all have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. It was the Apostle Paul that said uh, that if we, by faith, we can become His children and that we're added to the body of Christ. It was Paul that said in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, For as the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. That's the message that we need to be preaching. The message of redemption. We need preachers like Peter, we need preachers like Paul, we need preachers like Stephen that preach with conviction. I preached a sermon not too long ago at Willette, and when you're on YouTube, you're going to get all kinds of messages, and we do. You know what's, what, what's strange to me is that a lady, she sent me a message not too long ago, and she said, well, I like your zeal. 
I like your zeal, okay? And she said, but listen, she said, you, you step on my toes too much. I'm here to tell you, brethren, you know, if I step on your toes, I've not done a very good job. I'm, I'm aiming for your heart. What we need to do is to motivate people that we are God's people and we need to look around and we need to see people that are lost, unprepared. My grandson's here tonight. I don't want to embarrass him. We was talking about this a little the other night. And you know, he said eternity is a long time. A long time to think. You think about eternity, friends. I'm telling you that I've got family, I've got friends, I've got neighbors that are lost, and I need to be trying to reach them with the message of redemption. That's the only thing that can and will save them. I'm convinced that the reason that some congregations are not growing, especially some of our older congregations, I, I held a meeting not too long ago over in Clay County, Macon County, the Kentucky, somewhere right in there. It was right on the border. And I looked around every night. And probably 45, 50 years old would have been the, the youngest age there. And I was just thinking, where's this church going to be? Where's this congregation going to be 40, 20, 10 years from now? And I even suggested to one of the men, he was talking to me, he said, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, well, maybe you could merge. Now, you can't tell some of these little congregations they need to merge because, ooh, you set off a bomb. You know, we got them every mile or two. I said, maybe you can merge and have two or three and have a good, strong church. Well, I don't think they'll ever go for that. What can we do? I said, well, all I can tell you to do, there's not a whole lot of houses around here, but you need to be reaching as many people as you can with the gospel. Brethren, we, sometimes we are just content to keep house. This is the way we've always done it. You ever been in a meeting where something good that was brought up, boy, I have, and the per first person that says something's very negative, well, we tried that, it won't work, cost too much money, I, that won't work here, and perhaps it won't, I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, negativity will destroy the work of a local congregation. I preached about that this morning at Willette. Negativity. We need to understand that we are not to be content with our little group how small or how large it is. We cannot be content just to keep house. When the world lives and dying unprepared to meet God, we cannot just get all bent out of shape about what color of carpet we're going to have. I knew a congregation where they had a tree out in front of the marquee. The men decided that they were going to cut the tree where people could see the marquee. Why? This man that's grandfather planted that tree, he became so upset and angry, he said, I'm not coming back there. They finally talked him into it and he came back. But the point of it is, brethren, why do we get so concerned about some things that it doesn't really matter about a hill of beans and we forget uh, what God has given us to do? The very first work that Becky and I and our two children uh, moved to was down in South Georgia. I got out of school. Tom Holland sent me there. And the church, when we got there, was about 30, 35. They were receiving support from Middle Tennessee churches and didn't have any elders. We had men's business meeting, and we started knocking doors. We started canvassing the area. We started growing. And you know, we grew and we grew. We had so many people uh, that we had, did a, uh, the men decided we were going to buy a modular home a modular house, a building out there, and we're going to have our Bible classes in there for our children. 
And then we called the Middle Tennessee church and said, we don't need your money anymore. anymore. We're self-supporting. This little congregation had never grown like this before. I mean, folks were excited. We were baptizing people. Uh, we converted a lady and she said, what can I do to help the church? I don't know, ma'am. She said, well, you don't have a van, do you? And I said, no. She said, I'll buy a used van for the church. And you all pick me up on it. Oh, that sounds good. Man, the church was going. And in a business meeting, one of the older members, he said, and some of the other members shook, shook their heads in agreement, we're going to have to slow down. We're, we're getting too big. We're going to end up having parking lot problems. We're going to end up having a situation where uh, that we just can't control all of this. And she, he said, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I just, I, I liked it better when we, was, we knew each other. There's the issue, brethren. There is a problem. When we get to the point in our life, even spiritually, when you, you know why churches won't grow? I was invited to speak at a, in a lectureship one time, why churches grow. There's no, there's no formula, there's no magic to why churches grow. You can't say, okay, you grow, here's two things you do and you grow. There's one thing you can do and you can grow. And that is you grow, members grow spiritually. Friends, when you take a group of people growing spiritually and they love the Lord and they're wanting to evangelize, you're going to grow. The church is going to grow. And I'm here to tell you uh, that it works because it worked in the first century. It worked back during uh, the Restoration Movement. It worked all the way up to the 50s. I want to motivate you to look around and just think about how many people that you know that's lost, that needs the gospel. The sin of omission. Therefore, to him that knoweth do good and do it not, to him in his sin. James 4, verse 17. Look around and see how many people in your community, in your family, that's lost, that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not be content with our little group. Let's take the gospel throughout the world. I, I do this. It's one of my favorite lessons, and I do it in a lot of meetings because I'm trying to motivate people to realize that what is very important is that we try to evangelize. It's amazing to me the attitude of some leaders in some congregations when they don't, they're content. And most of the time it's not because they've got an eldership, they don't have an eldership, and they don't want elders because they're afraid they're going to lose the power. Finally, why are we not reaching the lost? This is a hard one for me because it's a struggle for me. When I'm talking to someone privately and uh, a family member and I'm trying to reach... When I first became a Christian, I thought I could convert the whole world in about two days. I went about it the wrong way. Have you ever, have you ever made a mistake and you've gone about something the wrong way? If you've been so eager that you wanted someone to see the gospel and to see the truth, and I just didn't handle it right, I must admit. And I'm trying to do better. And I'm, you know, I pray for wisdom that when given an opportunity, I don't say the wrong thing to them. I just don't jump down their throat. I don't cram it down their throat. I'm trying to show them. I'm trying to help them to realize that God's way is the right way. 
And we need to be careful that we don't just intentionally offend someone when we're trying to evangelize. I went with a, on a Bible study one time with an elder, and I said I'd never go back with him. We, we were in the privacy of these people's homes. They were not Christians. They had moved to our community. His wife had baked a cake. That was great. We go in, and there was a, a, a whiskey bottle, and I saw the man, and he kicked the whiskey bottle underneath the sofa, and, but the elder saw it. And the next 30 minutes, he browbeat that man because he would drink in front of his children. We're in the privacy of his home. We're trying to get them to know about Jesus. And I could tell the man was so angry with us. It's a wonder if he hadn't thrown both of us out on the top of our heads. That's not the way you handle that. We should have dealt with that in a different way. We should have told that man that we love him, that we care about him, and that we're concerned about his soul. Did Jesus ever offend anyone? Not because of His own actions, but because of His teaching. Read Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, a whole chapter. The scribes and the Pharisees. Wow! If I preach like Jesus did in Matthew 23, my own wife would be ashamed to be with me. We live in a society where people are very sensitive. You know that, don't you? We live in a very politically correct world. I, I don't necessarily like it that way, but that's the way it is. And we need to realize that when we are studying the gospel with someone and they become offended with the gospel of Christ, I had a public discussion with a denominational preacher. And the hardest thing I ever did, Ben was up on stage with me, the hardest thing I ever did because... I can remember what Phil, I believe it was Phil uh, Sanders told me at GBN. I spoke that night and he was, uh, they were having a meeting and he said, you can win the discussion. They know about, you got the Bible, but don't lose it with your attitude. And brethren, I'm telling you right now, I've tried to always remember that. Fear of alienate. I want my friends, I want my family, I want everybody to love me and like me, but I can tell you right now, there are some people that don't like me. In Macon County, there are people that don't like me. I, have, I preach on the radio, and I have to be very careful what I say on the radio, and I try to open up the Bible and preach what the Bible says. But I'm here to tell you, I can't quit trying to evangelize because somebody's going to be offended, or it might alienate someone uh, from me. Jesus said, He that loves father and mother, son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now what that literally says is you've got to love them less. The gospel of Christ, brethren, we need to love one another. We need to care about people. But do you realize what love, true, biblical, agape love is? Love, agape love, motivates me to love the object that is recipient of my love, and if I really love him, I'm going to share with him the gospel of Christ. I want him to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, friends, what can we do? What can we do? We live in this world, seven billion. What can we do? We can go back being just what they were in the New Testament. That's Christians. We can go back to the Bible and we can try to be like Jesus every day of our lives. 
Now, some of you are not able to go door knocking. Some of you are not able uh, to go and, and visit with someone else. I understand. There's something that every one of us can do. Card ministry. We have a card ministry at Willette. Every Sunday night, one of our groups will send out maybe 15, 20 cards. What can we do? We can pick up the telephone. When we get on social media, we can represent Jesus like we ought to. Sometimes I am so embarrassed and ashamed at what folks put on social media. Some of our brethren. It embarrasses me. What can we do? Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul said, If you've been risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. I want to challenge every one of you to go to... You, go, you can actually go on your phone to GBN and you can put in... Uh, voices from the past. You'll see Paul saying on there as he introduces the speaker, why churches die. You ought to watch that lesson or listen to that lesson by Andrew Conley. Wonderful lesson. I'd recommend my son sent it to me and uh, on Friday and I listened to it in my office and I said, that is a marvelous sermon. You know why he said churches are dying? Because too many brethren got too much of the world in them. Number two, because we're not Middleton enough. Now, I'm not talking about getting out here with a fist fight. I'm talking about really understanding what we're supposed to be about. Look at the first century church. Man, the first, first century church was growing by leaps and bounds. When Paul went into Athens on Mars Hill, and he, they were worshiping these unknown gods and had this idol set up, and these idols, it, it, it infuriated him. Oh, it made him so angry. And the Bible says that Paul said, let me tell you about those gods. Friends, we've got to take people where they are and we've got to help them see Jesus. We've got to introduce them to the gospel of Christ. Yes, some folks say, well, you know, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be the salt and the light of the... Oh, that's great. We need that. That's great. That's part of evangelism. But I tell you what, you can love folks by playing bingo and golf, and they can lose their souls. We've got to try to help people know about the Lord. Do you ever think like this? You see a new baby come into the world, and you think, man, isn't that precious? But do you ever wonder 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 60 years from now, if time stands, what kind of person would that little baby be? Will that baby go to heaven you ever, you ever think about that? You ever think about your own family members? I, Becky and I pray quite often that we want our grandchildren, all of them, to go to heaven. We want our children to go to heaven. We want our family to be strong in the Lord. We want, I want my uh, brothers and my sisters to know God and to know His will. Because, brethren, there's nothing like blessings that we have in Christ. If brethren only knew and really appreciated what we have in Jesus Christ, it doesn't get any better than this. Someone says, you know, will we ever survive COVID? I don't know exactly what that means. I think COVID hurt in a lot of areas. But I tell you who it did not hurt. 
It didn't hurt those that's faith is strong and anchored in the gospel. It didn't hurt them. No. If you could interview them today, they're just as strong as they were then. But what it did do, it caused those that are weak to get weaker. Brethren, we've got a job to do in the Lord's church. The church has got to take the gospel to this lost and dying world. Someone asked me just earlier, so why did you quit going to India? Well, I'm old, and number two, we need to be doing more in America too. Those of you that would like to go knock doors, we're going to be going to Knoxville to the Carnes Church and knock doors. It's going to be hot. If you want to know more about that, I can tell you how to, we can arrange that. We're going up on Monday morning. We're coming back on Tuesday evening. It's going on all week long. We've got to try to do something to reach the lost. Eternity too long. I came through Pippin one day and I saw on their marquee and I preached on it the next Sunday. Eternity, eternity is too long to think about what you should have done. Boy, that's true. Tonight, we're going to sing Invitation Hymn. The gospel of Christ is so powerful. It's changed. Think about how it's changed your family, how it's changed your life. Think about what it's done for you and the salvation of your soul. There's nothing greater than going to heaven and being with God where all the redeemed, where we'll never grow old, where we'll never die. Revelation 21 verse 4, Revelation 14 verse 13. And tonight you have an opportunity to become a part of the redeemed. The only way you can become a child of God is by faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God, by believing that gospel, repenting of your sins, and confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and being baptized into Christ. The water won't save you. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us when we contact that blood, Romans 6, 1 through 6. If you need to come back home. Man, a congregation of God's people is where love ought to flow from one member to another. When someone comes forward, someone comes home, we don't put it on Facebook and question their motive. We love them. We forgive them. And we help each other to overcome whatever they're struggling with. Would you come right now while together we stand as we sing together?